is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Connor McKnight is in the air right now on his way to Yankee Stadium. He will be on the call later on this weekend for Yankees and White Sox. I'm Tyler Rocky filling in today. We've got White Sox Weekly 930 to 1130 leading you into the FanDuel White Sox pregame show on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. This show's for you. 312-332-3776. Anything that you saw from the White Sox week that you want to get into, we are here for you on the show. We're going to talk to Michael Huff, the director of youth baseball programs for the White Sox. That's coming up at 945. We'll also check in with Connor not sure where he'll be out there, but we will talk with Connor at 10.15 as well to get his glimpse of what he's seen from the White Sox in the last couple of games and weeks. So this is a very odd White Sox weekly that we have here because there was no game yesterday. We were rained out out at Yankee Stadium, so... It may have been the perfect reset for what this White Sox team needs. Again, this is a daunting little stretch to their schedule right now because this is a team that is in the middle of a stretch of 17 games in 17 days spanning from May 6th all the way up until tomorrow. They're going to get their first scheduled day off on Monday before a three-game home set against the Red Sox. But this is the grind of the season, and of course, it's extra difficult because of the lockout and instituting some of these extra games, that game against the Royals in what turned out to be a five-game series. You don't see a lot of five-game series in regular season baseball. And that is something that the White Sox are working through right now. It is getting through some of these early, long stretches of baseball. It's tough. This is a long season. And for you to have one of these long stretches of 17 games in 17 days, at least that's what the schedule was dictating for you, it's not an easy task to get through and, and get to that point. So credit this White Sox team. I, I was talking a little bit earlier with our executive producer, Eric Ostrowski. It was like, this team right now has won 10 of their last 16 games. It sure as heck doesn't feel like that right now, but they have won 10 of their last 16 games. And I'm wondering, too, as we look back on the week in review here for the White Sox, they've played nine games in the last eight days now. That win against Kansas City to win the series, the five-game set, 3-2 to two over the Royals, that was one of the best wins that the White Sox have had this season. Now, you can scoff at who the opponent is maybe because it's the Royals and they're not near the top of the AL standings in the, the AL Central right now and don't probably figure to be a part of the playoff picture this season. But those are games that good teams don't necessarily win. You look at you look at some of those those trials and tribulations that the White Sox have come through over the course of the season. Like I look at the the game against the Angels, right? The one that Tony LaRussa and a lot of White Sox players sort of credited with being something that sparked those the the six game winning streak that came shortly after that to me was okay that maybe was a foundation to getting that six game winning streak i'm wondering now is that game that the white Sox won on thursday going to be sort of that springboard 
for this team moving forward, getting them going. And you've got a, a stretch of really tough games coming up. You've got the Yankees for three, three in two days, uh, as I mentioned. Um, and then you also have three against the Red Sox, who look like they're starting to heat up a little bit. If you've been tracking Trevor Story out there, he's hitting the the crap out of the baseball right now. He had a grand slam yesterday. He had a, a multi-homer game as well earlier in the week. So he's starting to heat up. And I think a lot of people probably feel similarly about the White Sox and Red Sox right now in the sense that these are two teams that right now aren't hitting to the talent that is on the roster. And that's something that a lot of people probably expect will change over the course of the next couple of weeks and months as we get deeper and deeper into the summer. So I want to know for what, from White Sox fans, 312-332-3776, does this team feel like it's getting close to being the team that you expected out of the White Sox? I don't think if you asked a lot of White Sox fans – at the 38-game mark, would this team be a 500 team? I think a lot of White Sox fans would have said, no, this team's going to be well above 500. This team's going to be in first place in the AL Central right now. It may be early, but you still have somewhat of a sample size at nearly 40 games into the season. So I want to know from White Sox fans, do you feel like you're, you're seeing a team that's starting to turn the corner, starting to get things right based on what you've seen over the last week? 312-332-3776. Took three of five from the Royals after a, a tough series against the Yankees where the team struggled to get some offense going in a couple of games. We've got a great pitching matchup today as well. Dallas Keuchel has looked pretty good the last couple of games out, and he was really good, in fact, against the Yankees. He had the only victory in that series. I guess he didn't end up getting the win in that game, but he was putting together one of his best starts as a member of the White Sox. Um, and then they're going up against Nestor Cortez, who was dominant in that Sunday matchup against the White Sox. So you're looking at two pitchers who were probably two of the best pitchers that the series saw when these two teams met up a week ago. So I want to hear from you guys. 312-332-3776. Does it feel like this White Sox team is starting to turn that corner in your eyes? Let's head on out to the phones and check in with Mike in Bolingbrook. What's going on, Mike? Hey, what's up, guys? Love the show. Thanks, Mike. I just, I think the, I think we have the players. You know, a lot of teams look around and they don't really have the players to get out of a, a little lull like this. And and the pitching, you know, maybe a little more hitting, but they'll do it when it matters. I feel like they'll sweep a few series when down the road in a few months. So thank you. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. And you talk about eventually this team's going to start sweeping some series when you've got the pitching that the White Sox haven't. We haven't even seen Lance Lynn factor into the equation yet as well. That, that to me, is something that I'm intrigued by personally because you've seen the dominant stuff from Dylan Cease. We know who Lucas Giolito is as a starter for this team. He is one of the best in the American League. And we have seen Lance Lynn from a season ago, and you're hoping that he can return to that form that he was back in 2021 for this White Sox team. I'm intrigued by the pitching. And then Michael Kopech, of course, is going to go out there, and he's been really good with his stuff as well. Hopefully that starts to stretch out into some longer outings. And how about the start that you got out of Johnny Cueto earlier in the week? I don't think a lot of people saw that one coming, but he was fantastic. 
to to lead off and give you a, an important start against the Royals earlier in, in this season. And, and Johnny's been great in his first starts and his debuts with teams and his start with the White Sox. I don't think a lot of people saw him coming out and throwing the shutout uh, outing that he had against the Royals earlier in the week. So, And then you've got Dallas Keuchel, who, again, struggled a little bit out of the gate, but he's put together a couple of nice outings in a row for, for the White Sox. So he'll look to return to that form again against this Yankees team, a Yankees team that he's actually been pretty good against over the course of his career. So he'll try to channel that once again at Yankee Stadium. First pitch today coming up at 12.10. We'll have the pregame show for you starting at 11.30. Lennon DJ have the call from the Bronx later on this afternoon. So one thing that Mike brought up there is that the hitting's just going to get going. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit now with a guy like Jose Abreu who was in a terrible, terrible rut for a little bit. He had gone through an 0-for-21 stretch and then snapped out of it a week ago to the day against the Yankees. Ever since he's snapped out of it, we're seeing a a very different Jose than what we saw over the the beginning portions of the season. A Jose that frankly struggled at the beginning of this season. But over the last six games now, so over the past week for Jose, he did sit out one of the games as well, I believe, earlier in the week. He's hitting two thirty-eight right now. But I think the important thing with Abreu is that he's starting to get on base. When he was in that rut, he had just one game where he appeared on base, and it came via the walk. Now you're starting to see him walk a little bit more. And for a White Sox team that is dead last in the league in walks, This is an encouraging thing. You're starting to see more pitches. You're starting to knock some of these starters out a little bit earlier. And that's part of getting a guy like Yohan Moncada back, getting back an Andrew Vaughn, and now getting Jose Abreu back to being one of those more patient hitters in your lineup for a team that needs to start getting on base at a higher clip. Over the last six games, he's drawn five walks. That's something that makes Jose Abreu the player that he is. He's getting on base at nearly a 400 clip over the the last six games here, and you're seeing that pay off in the win column as well because the White Sox are 4-2 and over those six games that Jose's appeared in. He's hitting the ball hard. He's been hitting the ball hard all year. You're starting to see that turn into some extra base hits. He's got a pair of doubles over this stretch here. And if Jose rounds back into form, this White Sox team can get back to what we saw out of them back in 2021 when they won the division pretty comfortably. And you hope that this team can motor their way back up atop the AL Central rather quickly because you look at the stretch ahead for the White Sox, a very tough one. And right now the AL Central leader in the Minnesota Twins, their next 15 games are all coming against the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers. Those are teams that we saw last season, the White Sox, they they kind of beat up on last year to sort of build out that division lead and get it to where it is. And right now, if you're the White Sox, you got to try to hang pace because you could see a number of Twins wins coming up over the next couple of weeks. So 312-332-3776, do you feel like this White Sox team is close to rounding into form? We want to hear from you. But next, we will talk to Mike Huff. He'll tell you about all the great youth programs going on with the White Sox. That's coming up in just a little bit. And be sure to join us for the Summer T-Shirt Series on Thursday, May 26th, as the White Sox take on the Boston Red Sox at 7.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a White Sox T-Shirt designed by Chuck Styles. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Summer Series. White Sox Weekly will be back on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
White Sox Weekly with you here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. He will be on the call for tomorrow's game with the Yankees as part of the doubleheader after last night's game got postponed due to some weather taking place out in the Bronx. We will get into the lineup. We're actually going to talk to Connor as well at 10.15, so be sure to tune in when we're talking all things White Sox with Connor. And right now we bring in the director of youth baseball for the White Sox, Michael Huff, joins us here on White Sox Weekly. How are you doing this morning, Michael? I am good, Tyler. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. You know, it's always weird on these days these unscheduled days off, especially the Saturdays where you're used to having baseball every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And now this is a White Sox team that's going to have consecutive weeks with no Fridays. What is it like, you as a former player too, when you have these unscheduled Friday, these weird Fridays off, how do you spend the time? Well, it really depends on if you're at home or on the road. If you're at home, you can imagine your family, kids, or friends, just to be able to relax and have, sort of a home-cooked meal, be able to sleep in. You know, you typically may go to the ballpark to do some treatment if you're sore, but it's really nice. On the road, um, for me at least, it seemed like I always had some family or some friends I was trying to share the major league experience with. And so if I was on the road, a little frustrating, calling the misses, the kids, the friends back in the hometowns. But for me, just to have a day um, with family and friends in a New York, in a Los Angeles, a Seattle. I mean, those those were pretty special and, and pretty fun days. And, and I will say there was always a handful of guys that golf was their second favorite passion <laughs> besides baseball. And mm-hmm. so those guys knew there was an off day, had the sticks on the plane, had the golf course lined up, and they were playing 18 for sure. That seems like so, – I have a feeling there were some guys that were rooting for, for rain certain days, too, with those golf trips <laughs> yeah. lined up. And more often than not, it was the pitchers. Right, exactly. Those guys, the starters know, in particular. They off day, yeah, they could truly get the sticks out and truly relax. Yep. So, Michael, you're the director of youth baseball with the White Sox. You guys run great summer camps. I, myself, and an alum of the White Sox summer camp. Some of the best times I had, some of the best summers I had. I mean, the I remember getting the, the little duffel bag, too, as, as a kid. Yep. And that, I think, was the official duffel bag of youth sleepovers everywhere uh, across the the greater Chicago area. Um, But can you tell us a little bit about these White Sox summer camps and what people are going to get if they sign up for them? Yeah, we still have the drawstring backpacks. It's filled full of White Sox swag. Um, We are a Monday through Thursday camp, either in the mornings or the afternoons. Uh, You have to go to the website, whitesox.com slash play, click the summer camp icon, and there's an interactive map. So you type in your zip code and you'll find all the camps close to you, Um, maybe not in your town, but hopefully one over. And the kids will get four days of instruction that is all progressive in nature. You know, we'll start with the very basics on Monday. We'll add to it on Tuesday, start adding some games and having some fun Wednesdays and Thursdays. Uh, Every camper will also get two tickets to a White Sox game. Um, And in the past, we've been able to have a QA and a with a player, a coach, um, because of COVID, that has since stopped, but we're hoping to do that again in the future. But it's a great experience that typically on the Friday or the following Friday, you're getting tickets to a Sox game and, and getting a chance to see the, uh, the the boys in black hopefully bring another win home to the south side. Yeah, I remember like those Thursdays were some of the most fun days, too, because it's all yep. the competition has ramped up. Like The entire summer camp had built up 
to getting to that point. And it was so much fun. And you brought up the the experiences with, with the players and stuff like that. I think one of the highlights for me was uh, one year there was a meet and greet with Mark Burley and Neil Cox. Yep. And to, to go and see one of the, I mean, Mark Burley is one of the most legendary White Sox you're going to find out there. And to get that sort of face-to-face interaction, be able to talk with him, get an autograph, all that fun stuff, that to me was really cool as a kid. Well, and that's why we sort of turned this around, because we could only get so many players on so many days. We realized pretty quickly that not every camper is going to get that experience, because if you're in a camp when the team's on the road, you're, you're kind of out of luck. So mm-hmm. we turned it around and said every camper will have an opportunity to get to the ballpark. Every camper will have an opportunity to meet a player. Uh, we've had Jason Benetti, typically uh, Joe McEwing, and, and you know various Sox players. You know Pre-COVID, it was the Lucas Giolitos of the world. You know, it, it was some of these frontline players that for these kids to, to ask a question of the players and to kind of get a chance to see them up close and in person. Um, a lot of times we would be watching some of the Sox players doing some extra batting practice. So everything that we're saying to the kid, look, you have to hit off a tee. Look, you have to hit the other way. All of a sudden you're watching, you know, Jose Abreu just hit line drive, line drive, line drive to right center before he launches a few home runs. So it's really exciting being a part of the White Sox. It's really neat that the kids get to experience the ballpark, seeing a game, as well as having four great days of activities and, and, and just watching the smiles on these kids' faces as they truly learn a few things and get better in the game of baseball. Michael Huff, the director of youth baseball for the White Sox, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. So when you kind of oversee some of these camps and you see the kids that, that come out to these Who's the, the favorite player amongst all of them? Because this is a White Sox team with a ton of likable dudes on it. Who's the player that these kids just absolutely love? Well, I mean, last year it was probably uh, Luis Robert, Yoan Moncada. Tim Anderson is, is number one on just about everybody's right. list. But, you know, there was the Liam Hendricks kids coming out kind of doing the, you know, the glare and the jumping around and the fist pumps. Um, luckily, they, there was no four-letter words. Everything was very clean because um, these kids don't know those words yet. Um, but at least we hope know, it, it was. It was interesting because the the kids that were more pitching oriented had their Lucas Giolitos, um, Lance Lins, Dylan Cease. Again, some of the you know just the the, the different personalities for the kids fit the different player personalities. So I think Tim Anderson is still number one in, in everyone's heart, but it was interesting how, you know, what position you were playing more infield versus outfield, more pitching versus hitting, how there was a lot of different favorite players. Now, I know that aside from the summer camps, there's a lot of other ways that the White yes. Sox impact youth baseball, whether it's the, the team in league training or the elite training and travel. Um, what are some That's of these other the fun pro- things? Well, let me jump onto yeah. that, Tyler. I, I would say from the travel side, we typically had travel teams, some of the best in the Chicagoland area that were only high school based because we do all of these youth initiatives with the Jersey programs and our summer camps. But we have merged with an organization, um, AI9, Scott Lawler, uh, out in Naperville, who really manages sort of that middle school kid. And we have found that there are so many kids that are aging out of Little League that are really good, maybe haven't quite gotten into the travel world yet, that are looking for something when they're 13. So now our suburban White Sox elite travel program will go all the way down to age 13. So 13 through high school, the AI-9 Chicago White Sox merge, Scott Lawler, Andrew Brower joining Jim Adusi's staff over with us at the White Sox. It just, it, it's just so much fun 
seeing, you know, these kids that are, you know, a little bit more exceptional and truly have a little bit more aptitude for baseball, wanting to get training from ex-major leaguers like myself, Dan Pasqua, Jim Adusi, and watching them evaluate and, and elevate their games. We actually were just at uh, a game at Northwestern where one of our kids plays for Notre Dame. We have three of our kids playing for Northwestern. Um, it's just neat to see the players kind of that truly want to get that extra something and and may actually be kind of that lucky gene pool. You know, the White Sox can provide that. And uh, the other really cool thing is, again, once you're part of the White Sox, our elite guys are going to get a chance to play a quasi-inter-squad game at the ballpark every summer. So, you know, our kids are getting out and getting a chance to, to talk and watch some of the White Sox players as well as playing a game on the field. So pretty neat stuff. And, again, for all of that, same thing, whitesox.com slash play find the travel team icon logo click that and there'll be a full description of you know for those kids 13 and up now not just 15 and up that truly want to get challenged and maybe take their game to that next level the white Sox can provide that you know it's funny you bring up jim aducey his daughter was my babysitter for the longest time when i was a young kid and and so they're the family that actually turned us on to these uh these white Sox summer camps and got us going but um how important is it to get these these kids in at a young age and kind of get that continuity with them from that starting at age 13? Well, I think for anything, you know, once you get some continuity, whether you're studying for math, whether you're studying for a play, whether you're playing an instrument or a sport, it when you find something that truly works, when you have multiple people saying this is the right way to get into a system where you can learn that and as you grow from the, you know, four foot ten, seventy five pound outfielder into the six foot three your senior year in high school, you know, mm-hmm. outfielder to get your body learning the right way, to get your mind learning the right way. Everything that we're trying to teach for these elite players especially is to allow them to sort of self correct. Like let them understand how their body is reacting to a play or to a pitch and being able to go back into the memory banks and say, Oh yeah, I'm leaning back. That means I've got to do this. I remember that drill, so next pitch very quickly let me self-correct and, and, and make an adjustment. And whether it's that next pitch or the next at-bat, rip one into the gap. Michael Huff, Director of Youth Baseball, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. So, Michael, you played in the bigs for seven seasons. Yeah, what do you remember about, about playing at Yankee Stadium, where the White Sox are playing later on this afternoon? Uh, just uh, the, the history. I mean, when I was in the old Yankee Stadium at the U- new Yankee Stadium, but I remember taking the train out from the hotel. I dropped you off at the ballpark two hours before the, the regular team bus went and just walking around the monuments, like going into the upper deck in right field and sitting right along the edge there and, you know, remembering the Mickey Mantle home run that might have left the stadium, except it was two seats in you know, at the top of those bleachers and just remembering all of the great players and all the great tradition that is baseball. So for me, I I was very fortunate, like you said, to get to play for as many years as I did, but going to places like Fenway, especially Yankee Stadium and walking among the monuments, thinking about, oh my gosh, this is where the old center field used to be. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not 30 feet in front of this. This is where center field was. The monuments were in play. And that type of stuff is very... Um, for the baseball aficionado, um, you know, that, that's kind of what you live for, and that's kind of checking off a bucket list item. 
So you're a new Trier Trevian, and then, of course, played for the White Sox for a couple seasons as well. I have to ask you, did you get the Charlie Tilson treatment when you were a White Sox player? Did, was everything about this is the new Trier to, to White Sox player, the hometown kid? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was triple. And now, again, unfortunately, I have to age myself. I was an Indian back when there was New Trier oh, okay. East and West. But from there, I went to Northwestern where I played mm-hmm. with a guy that I think you may have heard of, Joe Girardi, uh, still <laughs> yep. managing in the big leagues for the Phillies these days. But we had really good teams at Northwestern. So for me to get traded from Cleveland, you know, shocker, Cleveland's like, no, we have this other center fielder we think might be better than you, a guy named Kenny Lofton. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's going to be pretty good. Um, but to go from Cleveland to Chicago, every game there was one person in the stands, go New Trier. You know, every game there was at least one person, go Northwestern. You know, it was so fun having this hometown kind of rooting me on and, and uh, it was very special. And to get to play, you know, for three seasons here was kind of a dream come true, especially that 93 year when we won the West. Michael, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Be sure to get out there and sign up for these White Sox summer camps. Go to whitesox.com slash play to sign up. Michael Huff, Director of Youth Baseball for the White Sox, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on White Sox Weekly. Oh, my gosh, Tyler. Thank you, and have a great rest of the show. That's Michael Huff. You can check out those White Sox summer camps. They're spread out all throughout the Chicagoland area, so be sure to get in on that. Tons of fun, great four days, and like you said, there's a number of other little perks that come with it. You get a pair of tickets to a White Sox game as a result, so you can get out to the ballpark. It's a great time, so be sure to check all that stuff out. Before we take a quick break, pause 10 seconds here across our network for station identification. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only $15. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. When we come back, I want to know, do you feel like the White Sox are getting close? How close are they to getting atop the AL Central right now? We'll discuss all that and more. And don't forget, Connor McKnight joining us at 10.15 as well. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tyler Aki in for Connor McKnight. He's en route to New York right now where he will be on the call for the White Sox and the Yankees for tomorrow's game. We will also talk with Connor coming up at 10.15, so be sure to stick around for that as well. Hey, if you're looking for a unique way to start your game day this season, treat your group to a pre-game patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com patio or call 312-674-1000. So we've been talking this morning about... How close is this White Sox team? You're coming off of a series where you took three of five from the Royals, and that Thursday game where you had the the comeback in, you had the six unanswered runs to give yourself the victory, not just in the game but in the series, was probably one of the bigger wins the White Sox have had. And now some people may scoff at that and look at, oh, the opponent, the Royals, oh, you should be winning those games comfortably. But those are games that good teams come back and find ways to win it. And it's starting to get into the question of how close is this White Sox team now? Again, sitting at 19 and 19, not where you'd expect the White Sox to be if you asked and polled uh, fans at the beginning of this season. 
But here they are, and now a chance to start picking off some wins against some really good teams coming up. You look at the upcoming White Sox schedule, it's not going to be easy. you got three right now against the Yankees, one of which is going to come in a doubleheader. So the two games tomorrow, I'll I'll get to all, all that information as well in just a little bit too. Then you have three at home against Boston, a Boston team that's starting to play some better baseball, two at home against the Cubs, and in those rivalry series, Anything sort of goes. We've seen the White Sox when they're the lesser team in that in the that series come out and get some wins. We've seen it the other way when the White Sox are better than the Cubs and the Cubs elevate and get some wins. That could be a tough series for this team. And then you travel to take on Toronto and Tampa Bay. Those aren't going to be easy series. And then you're at home against the Dodgers. So this is a chance now for the White Sox. A lot of a lot was made of last year and their record against sub five or against above five hundred teams rather. This is a chance to to get some quality wins against some quality opponents coming up. And the Yankees, that's where it all starts. A twenty eight and ten Yankees team that just took three of four from you last week in your home ballpark. So the White Sox a chance now to turn things around. And they struggled against the Yankees last season. 0-3 at Yankee Stadium, in particular, one and six overall in 2021 and of course the one and three uh so far this season that came a week ago so how close do you feel like this white Sox team is three one two three three two three seven seven six i think a lot of it sort of starts with tim anderson and what he brings to the lineup at top the lineup every single game he's one of those players who we talked about this a little bit last week on, on white Sox weekly he's getting better as a hitter which for a guy who over the course of his career has hit above 300 in each of the past four seasons. It's tough to fathom that this guy continues to get better, but right now hitting 346, a 386 on base percentage. He drew a couple of walks in that win against the Royals as well. You don't see TA walk a lot, and he was doing everything for this team in that game. I mean, he put together such a complete ball game, made a couple nice plays in the field. He stole a couple of bases as well. He really propelled this team. And, of course, a lot of people will point to Luis Robert. He was fantastic as well in that game, too. But Tim Anderson is the only player in baseball so far in 2022 to have a pair of walks, a pair of hits, a pair of runs batted in, and a pair of stolen bases. In fact, that sort of feat is more rare than a no-hitter in baseball. It's only happened... uh, 163 times. Uh, Ricky Henderson has five of them. No one else has more than two. The White Sox, actually, they've got 12 games with with players accomplishing that feat. But Tim Anderson, um, he went out and put together that stat line. All all those stats, by the way, courtesy of Jay Kuda, uh, um, saw him on Twitter. He put together those. He's got some great White Sox numbers. Um, But Tim Anderson's one of those guys who, as the White Sox go, Tim Anderson goes. And, And you see the difference that this team has when Tim Anderson is in control of this line. I mean, when he is out there and the White Sox are winning games, this guy is hitting near 400. And you look at what he brings from an energy perspective, what he brings from a leadership perspective as well. And if you've got a guy who, again, is adapting to what's being thrown at him. That, that's sometimes the knock on all players is that it's tough to adapt in certain circumstances. But Tim found a way in that game against the Royals after the, the team had been scrutinized. I mean, there was a lot of talk about the, the hitting coaches. and Antonio LaRusa held that meeting with the hitting coaches, including Frank Menachino, um, before that Royals game. And Connor talked about it and laid it out perfectly on the pre- and post-game shows 
you could see that there was clear instruction given out to these hitters. And there's no better example of that than the game that Tim Anderson put together against the Royals. In a game where he goes two for three, gets on base another two times with a couple of walks and steals some bases. That That's coaching right there. I think that's one of the maybe misconceptions of what a hitting coach does, too. A lot of it is... It's almost like the offensive and defensive coordinators that you see in football. It's dialing up strategy and game plan. It's not always, oh, you're, you're dipping your shoulder a little bit here or something with your back foot there. There's strategy that goes into it all as well. And I think you're starting to see some of that start to bear out with the White Sox and with Tim Anderson. So hopefully this is the sign of all these guys starting to turn a corner here because a lot of a lot of these guys struggled a little bit in the early stages of the season, but if you can start to turn everything around, I, I think the the hitting for a lot of White Sox fans has been the biggest issue and maybe the most uncharacteristic thing when you look at this roster one through nine that gets rolled out there by Tony Larusa, game in and game out, is there's just a lot of guys that aren't hitting at the rate that you're used to them hitting or getting on base at the use at the rate that you're used to them getting on base, and if the, all that starts to shift you're going to start to sync up a little bit better with some of the the pitching because right now the starting pitching has been fantastic for the White Sox. So far through the the first nearly 40 games for the White Sox, the clear bright spot has been the starting pitching and sort of some of the emergences that you have seen come out of this White Sox starting staff. And all of this is being done without Lance Lynn. But when you're seeing Dylan Cease and he's pitching at a Cy Young level, when you're seeing Michael Kopech get into the form of what White Sox fans want him to be with the dominant stuff, the low earned run average, just the ability to strike guys out at the clip that he is. And then we obviously know what Lucas Giolito is as a starter. And then you get into the, all right, Dallas Keuchel starting to string together a couple of good games. And he did it against a really good Yankees lineup a week ago. And, oh, Here's Johnny Cueto entering the equation as well. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. So with this team, do you feel like it's starting to round into form? 312-332-3776. Hey, grab your friends and head on out to the park for Miller Lights, Bleachers, and Brews. Get one ticket and two beers starting at $27 all season long. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID to purchase tickets. Visit whitesocks.com slash brew. When we come back, we're going to chat with the man on the move. Connor McKnight will join us as he is en route to call the White Sox and Yankees for tomorrow. Um, he's So that's why he's not on White Sox Weekly today or pre and post. I'm filling in for him. Tyler Rocky here with you on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We will talk to Connor McKnight when we come back. White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network, Tyler Aki. I'm in for Connor McKnight today and on the pregame show as well. FanDuel Sportsbook pregame show gets going at 1130 today with a 1210 first pitch. Lennon DJ will have the call this afternoon. The man who will have the call tomorrow afternoon is on the road right now. It's Connor McKnight. He's on his way out to New York, so he can call the game tomorrow afternoon. And that gives us a chance now to catch up with Connor. Connor, how are you doing today? 
Tyler, wonderful. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, my man. Everybody's uh, everybody's happy about uh, headed to New York, and hopefully that includes White Sox fans who will hopefully see a good series against the Yankees and one that balances a little bit differently than the four-game set they had at Guaranteed Rate Field. Right. I mean, you, you think about it. Four games with the Yankees spread out over four days, and now you get three condensed into two days, and, and the, the, you're getting the weird Friday off day as well as a part of this equation, too. But when you look at the week that was for the White Sox, again, this is just an unorthodox week everywhere when you don't have a game on Friday, and then you've got a five-game regular season series against the Royals. What did you make of what you saw from the White Sox in that series against the Royals that they took 3-2? to two? Well, they had some good stuff, you know, right? Watching Tim Anderson try and take over, try, actually take over a game in the final of five was a lot of fun to see. Um, you got some great pitching performances from Johnny Cueto and Davis Martin, who I don't think a lot of people expected much of, to say the least of which, expected true quality starts from Johnny Cueto and one inning shy of a quality start from Davis. That was some really impressive stuff. The White Sox offense is still you know, waiting to start clicking. You know, they, they, they've got a few guys that are getting themselves back into order um, to go along with Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, who are hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, it'd be nice to see a, a more, I don't know, kind of concentrated, uh, concentrated attack, I guess, from the offense. We're waiting for the walks to increase. We've seen the hard hit rates stay where they are for the White Sox, and yet still waiting on some of those results. So, you know, I think you take the good with the bad away from that uh, that Royal series. You can definitely see that. You know, this is this is a division that is caught up with the White Sox a little bit, the way they've started and the way the Twins have started, mm-hmm. and that's okay. You know, and I know that that's okay because the White Sox were looking for something like that. You know, whether it be Lucas Giolito or Liam Hendricks or even Rick Hahn, who talked a little bit during the offseason uh, about you know kind of accepting that challenge from other teams in the Central to go ahead and push them. Well, the push is on now. You know, I mean, this is, uh, you know, you look at the projections from both fan gra- well, from all over the place, fan graphs, prospectus, and all the other places where smart people write about baseball. Y- you can see that this division is a lot more 50-50 or, or slightly edging towards the White Sox than things were at the start of the season. So, you know, the battle is on, and I think the White Sox are talented enough to answer the challenge. Uh, but there are, you know, there are a handful of things that have gone against them to start the season, and they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to be good enough or as good as they are, plus a little bit better to overcome those things over the next couple months. You bring up the push in the division too, and that's something the White Sox they didn't have anyone last year. I mean, I, I think the perfect example of that is the fact that Cleveland traded away one of their starting nine players to you. You don't see that in the the midst of a. Yeah. If a division run there like the White Sox were trying to to put on last year. So to me, how important is it that they are getting this push from a bunch of teams in the division, whether it's Cleveland, whether it's Minnesota? Yeah, right now it probably doesn't look great. You, you didn't expect this team to be uh, in second place in the AL Central through almost 40 games. But how important is it to you that they have this sort of push so they can't maybe kick it into coast mode um, in the final second half of the season? I think it is important. But I think, you know, when we talk about that push that's in the Central, I, I think, Tyler, like the other thing to remember is one more team the White Sox are playing against right now kind of feels like themselves. You know, with that eight-game losing streak with as many unforced errors or air that they had, it felt like you were kind of fighting, mm-hmm. that they were kind of fighting themselves. And with yeah. the offense right now just kind of 
struggling to get unanchored from wherever it's stuck, it feels like they're kind of fighting themselves. It'd be nice, and I think they're, you know, obviously the projections say it, the, the talent says it, last year's performance said it, Tim Anderson doing what he did in the final game against the Royals says it. They are more than capable of putting their own struggles, you know, kind of behind them. It's still a baseball season and stuff's going to happen, right? I mean, guys are still going to take 0 for 20s because baseball's hard and everyone throws 99 now. But this is, you know, this is kind of a, um, not a, not a thing that's self-defeating necessarily, but certainly something where you can look around the clubhouses as individual players and go, okay, I just got to get my act together. I got to get back to my back of the baseball card and we're all going to be fine. That comes within its inherent pressures. Tony LaRusso has talked about that a little bit. Um, but I think this is a, this is a clubhouse that understands one another in a way that's going to allow for guys to relax into that that need to perform as opposed to press themselves into it, which might have been happening along the way in the first 40 games or so. You know, it's funny you bring that up. And Connor McKnight joining us here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. You're used to hearing Connor in this time slot two hours before pregame here on ESPN 1000. So when, when you talk about the, the this White Sox team and, and maybe some of these guys, their struggles early on, that's... So many people always talk about, okay, the season is so long, right? 162 games. Mm -hmm. But to me, I almost think of it like this is why baseball and the season itself is as long as it is. It's so the teams that are truly good in baseball are going to eventually elevate themselves to the top of the division, get themselves in the playoffs. Like if if baseball were like hockey or basketball and 82 games – it's very valid right now if White Sox fans were panicked that this team is 19 and 19 through almost 40 games and the season's almost halfway over. And then you could really start to talk yourself into, oh, this team could miss the playoffs. But since the season is almost twice the length of a base, of a basketball or a hockey season, just the sample size, you see the cream of the crop rise to the top when the sample is extended to the degree that it is. And to me, that's part of why Sox fans should still feel optimistic. You can give yourself a little bit of leeway in the early portion of the season to struggle a little bit and still get out there and and win the AL Central. So we've talked about that, you and I, on on White Sox Mm -hmm. Weeklies before, but in a different lens. And if you like in the offseason, when it got in, when the lockout broke and we found out the playoffs were going to expand to 12 teams, that was this is the conversation we were having. Right. And I, you know. You know me, Tyler. I'm a, I'm a 162. I'm I'm a small mm-hmm. playoff guy. I like the big sample size. I want to see the teams that get to 104, 105, 108 wins and call them great, and then call the World Series the World Series winner. That doesn't diminish one or the other necessarily. It's just a different way of measuring teams. I you know I I think that this 162 does let your playoff teams kind of announce themselves, right? Your best teams announce themselves. But baseball is different than other sports because you kind of get the best of both worlds. You know, we're so used to like screaming and yelling about, oh, they're not getting it right. The commissioner's got so many things and what's the baseball, all that kind of stuff. And why is there a runner on second base in the 10th inning? That's a fair one. But the rest of it is we get to say, okay, here's your 162 game champion or champions or however you want to want to talk about it. Then we play a tournament and it's true that you can be the best team in baseball through 162 
and then just fall flat on your face or get injured or whatever in the playoffs and you don't win the World Series, where you could be the Braves and, and get hot and have all your trades work out. Now, some of those are – and then there's a lot of space. That's the other thing, too, as we talk about, like, you know, teams off to a rough start or whatever. You, there's a lot of ground between last year's Braves and the 2020 Dodgers, right, mm-hmm. that were this unbelievable, unbeatable juggernaut right. that just rolled through the playoffs – and the, the plucky upstart Braves who had no reason to be there, right? There's a lot of ground in between and a lot of ground where you can still, you know, win a World Series and get hot in the playoffs by being, you know, a good team throughout the 162. So it's, I think, part of the way that we kind of distract ourselves, maybe distract's the wrong word, but get a little sidetracked during the regular season is saying, oh, well, look how rare it is for a bad team to win the World Series or you're, what was it? The 2006 Cardinals who won 83 games yeah. or something I had to win. Yes, that's true. That is rare. There's a lot of teams in between those kind of squads and your 2020 Dodgers, your uh, 2000 or 98 Yankees or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think it's even more pronounced this season when you've got those expanded playoffs and you're going to have a couple teams, two teams at the top of each uh, in each league that that get the the first round by. Listen, I don't think based on the way that the White Sox have started, I don't think that they're probably going to be in the conversation for one of those buys when we we do get down the stretch there. But I don't think that the the thirty eight game start that they have at nineteen and nineteen is an indication of, of oh well they're eliminated from the playoffs by any stretch. No, I think that part of it too is. with the PGA championship going on right now, I'll liken it to golf. You can't win the tournament on day one, but you can put yourself out of contention for it. That's kind of how I look at this buy, the buys that you're looking at in baseball at the top of the playoffs. Listen, the White Sox, they they haven't clinched a a spot in the the top. And, And I would even say the same as, is true for the Yankees and the the Angels and and Houston who have played really strong baseball out of the gate. They haven't clinched a spot for one of those top buys, but they've certainly put themselves in really good position while a team like the White Sox have struggled a little bit, but that certainly doesn't mean they're going to be out of it in terms of getting a playoff spot and maybe even as high as the third or fourth team in, in the playoffs. And so much of that is matchups too, Tyler. You know, I mean, you get into that playoff series. Um, you know, I think back to the, gosh, what was it? The, the 08 Cubs, right? I mean, they were so, so good. And mm-hmm. they faced a Dodgers team that was okay, not great or whatever. And everybody had picked that Cubs team. And then the Dodgers marched in with all their right-handed pitching and just boom away. I mean, that's just the matchups were all bad. The hope is, the expectation is, I think that's maybe a better way to put it, is that the White Sox with Dylan Cease stepping his game up, um, Lance Lynn coming back, Lucas Giolito, like that you have now that you should have once the the regular season ends and you're heading into the playoffs, that you've got better matchups against whatever playoff team you get, whatever draw you've got than the White Sox had in the first round last year against the Astros. Right. right? I mean, you were you were facing some tough matchups. Lance Lynn's number against the Astros haven't been that great. You saw that there were matchup issues uh, because of how those starters were you know kind of flagging toward the end of the season this this year is as much about getting that pitching and and the bullpen uh, set ready to go healthy and ready to sprint as soon as the regular season ends as anything else because having those matchups available to Tony La Russa, being able to pick out any one of those arms and go ahead and use them to attack that opposing lineup whomever that is that is clutch here that is absolutely key here um so it's you know and and that's why you see teams 
you know, like the, like the nationals who, you know, again, another extreme example, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, their bullpen was God off. <laughs> just truly terrible throughout the regular season. And then you got into the playoffs. They were able to shorten it up to about four different guys. The actual, the four guys that were actually good. And, you know, they rolled, um, they got a lot of other help along the way and Howie Kendrick turning into Superman certainly helped a lot, but mm-hmm. that, you know, you see kind of the, the overall blueprint there. Right. So, some good news that we saw, uh, this courtesy of Daryl Van Scowen on Twitter. He said that Lance Lynn and Aaron Bummer threw to live hitters in New York yesterday. Each of them got an inning. Lynn will probably pitch to live hitters again on Tuesday in Chicago. Bummer could be activated on Sunday, according to Tony LaRusa. If not that, Tony said Tuesday for sure. So you brought up the pitching staff there a little bit, and we saw the arrival of Johnny Cueto earlier in the week. Dallas Keuchel's put together a couple nice starts here. Um, and then obviously the usual suspects that we've seen so far this season with Lucas and, and Dylan and, and Michael Kopech. What do you expect this rotation to look like when Lynn comes back? Are we going to see someone move to the bullpen? What's, what's going to happen in your opinion when yeah, you're going to have six starters? That's the tough question. I knew we were going to talk about this, and that, I think that is really the, the, the toughest question. Um, and I think it's why when you look at Johnny Cueto's two starts here, the one he's going to have against New York and the one he had in Kansas City. He had a great start against Kansas City, which isn't a very good offense. But you could see the stuff played, and you could see the the command that he had. I mean, we were watching that game. Oh, we were oohing and eyeing a lot. Oh, my God. I mean, everything was moving everywhere, and that's just and, – and Johnny Cueto was pitching too. You know, I mean, it was, it was a whole thing. Uh, and he had command of all four corners of the strike zone, which is a huge thing to have against righties and lefties. Mm-hmm. But because you were able to do that against Kansas City, you know, you check some boxes there. Okay, command and control. Eh, that looks good. That looks pretty good. If you get shelled by the Yankees, okay, so did Dylan Cease. And right. you know what I mean? Like, so did a lot Yankees of pitchers this season. Exa- exactly. You know, exactly. However, um, I do think, you know, the, the schedule has been so tough for everybody coming up here. The Sox have the off day Monday, the 23rd, the off day Friday, the 27th, and the off day Thursday, uh, or pardon me, the next Monday, Memorial Day, the 30th, then another off day on the 6th. I know that's just a lot of numbers to everybody listening on the radio. It's four off days over the next two and a half weeks, two weeks plus. That's a lot of time. That is not only are you adding another arm to this rotation right now with, with Cueto involved, you are also adding another arm with those four days over the next two plus weeks that's an asset. You know what I mean? Don't, I wouldn't make any rash decision. I wouldn't rush anything here. That's a chance to hit reset on a lot of different guys, not just starters, but also relievers use those to your advantage. I wouldn't truly, um, uh, you know, barring health issues or anything that might pop up for any one guy. I wouldn't do anything with anybody that doesn't have options until after those days, I would let that time play out. I would let health work its course. That, that is, such an opportunity for this White Sox team, arm speaking of the, the arm specifically, to get themselves back to, you know, whatever, work on whatever nagging thing, whether that be a health thing, a command thing, a, a tweak thing, a, whatever it is. That's huge. Um, I would guess, though, if the question really comes down to, you know, which arms go where and who goes what, I would ex- I would guess that Vincent Velasquez is a guy that's probably better suited to pitch out of the bullpen than Cueto or Keichel at this point. So if there is a move that has to be made or, or a start in which 
I don't know, Michael Kopech goes just a couple of innings and you need length out of the bullpen. Maybe you are pulling Vincent Velasquez out to go do that work to, to kind of pitch that bulk kind of inning stuff. Um, and then dealing with the rest of it, you know, later after that, after these next two and a half weeks, after the first week of June kind of rolls by. Connor McKnight, you hear him usually on White Sox pregame and postgame, but he will be on the call tomorrow afternoon from Yankee Stadium. Real quick, Yankee Stadium, where is that on like your your all sports sort of venue list? Like, have you been to Yankee Stadium before? Is this like bucket list stuff for you? I'm glad you asked. I, I actually, my brother and sister-in-law and I went to a game in Yankee Stadium a, a handful of years ago. It was about 10 years ago. So New in Yankee, Jersey, right? New Yankee, okay. yeah. I had a trip planned to go to old Yankee Stadium, and then a relative of mine uh, passed away, so I wasn't able to go, and I haven't forgiven her since. <laughs> but that was that going there was really cool uh, with the three of us having gone. My, it was. I texted my brother, who I'm, I'm very close with, and I let him know that I was going to Yankee Stadium, and he texted back. I had forgotten this, but about a decade ago, he and I and my sister-in-law were in the stands at Yankee Stadium having a couple of pops on a summer night watching a Yankee game just because we wanted to go see it. And he said, hey, remember the last time you were in Yankee Stadium, you and I were goofing around doing play-by-play from the nosebleeds. I think you'll have a better seat. And I, I, it was, it's cool. I mean, that's, it's a cool thing to be able to do. I'm, it's, it's a cool flight to be able to take. And um, I'm really grateful that you might be able to step in and, and help out on this. It's, it's really awesome that, uh, that, that, that we get that kind of chance to go do these kinds of things. Um, but Yankee Stadium is up there. I, I enjoyed it the first time. I didn't get to walk around and really see it as much as I hope to go see it uh, you know, tomorrow and kind of experience it a little bit. Yankee Stadium is Yankee Stadium, though. You know, it's, you can love them right. or hate them, and and you can hate them, uh, but it's still a cool thing to watch. Well, that is an all-time full circle moment, I think. It, uh, it is, and I don't think the, those people sitting next to you in the nosebleeds—they uh, probably like that. This is something for young broadcasters. Like you, you hear this all the time. The people who go to the nosebleeds—they do the play-by-play. The fans sitting there, I don't think appreciate the play-by-play of the the young kids out there, but. You're going to have a much better. You, you've polished your skills, I'd imagine, since then. I was uh, I was told by one especially New York gentleman that I should uh, shut shut the ble- in very kind terms. Uh, shut up, stop talking, and just watch the baseball game. There were a lot of other words in between those that he said that I can't repeat or didn't really understand. Uh, but he was very New York, and, and with that typical New York kindness, let me know that I should stop doing what I was doing. As only an East Coast man can inform another man to stop doing <laughs> very play much. by play. Connor McKnight, safe travels out to New York, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Tyler, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. That's Connor McKnight. He'll be on the call for tomorrow, game one of the doubleheader. That is going to be Johnny Cueto and Jamison Tyone. That first pitch will come at 2.05. Sox fans, don't forget the Trust Crosstown Series heads to the south side in just one week, a week from today, Saturday, May 28th to Sunday, May 29th. Limited tickets are still available. Secure yours at whitesox.com. When we come back, I want to get into a little bit of what we saw earlier in the week with Tim Anderson and Ozzie Guillen. We'll also get you some news and notes from around baseball and in White Sox land as well, including a starting pitcher coming back to the rotation for the White Sox. We'll dive into all that and more when we return. 312-332-3776 if you want to jump on in as well. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Yo, 
Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tyler Aki with you, leading you into White Sox pregame on the FanDuel pregame show coming up at 11.30. First pitch at 12.05. Len and DJ will have your call from the Bronx uh, as the White Sox kick off their series with the Yankees coming up in just a little bit. 312-332-3776. We love talking to you here on White Sox Weekly, and that's where we find Nick, who's in Glenview. What's going on, Nick? Hey, Tyler. Obviously, the biggest theme this season has seem to be the offensive struggles. Outside of that, the one constant that we've constantly seen is Tim Anderson hitting at the top of the order at one and smothering the baseball. But outside of that, when you really look at the lineup, we've seen Andrew Vaughn bat at the two spot. We've also seen a lot of different guys filter in throughout this lineup. I mean, we've even seen Leary Garcia hit at three. We've seen Vaughn hit at nine. Is this something that Tony is trying to do, switch up the lineup to get guys out of slumps. I mean, we're at game 39, I believe, on the year, and we've seen at least 15 to 20 lineups, I have to believe. Is this a strategy for Larusa, like an element of surprise, or is this something to get guys out of the slump? I'd imagine it's part of the latter, Nick, and and thanks for the call. In terms of getting guys out of slumps, and again, White Sox fans, we've seen them sort of up in arms at times with certain guys in certain spots of the lineup, but have no fear. You want your lineup for today? I think you're going to enjoy this one. Tim Anderson is leading off. He's at shortstop. Andrew Vaughn will DH out of the two-hole today. Luis Robert hitting third. He's in center. Jose Abreu at first. He's in the cleanup spot. Yasmani Grandal behind the plate. A.J. Pollock. Then you've got Yohan Moncada dipping down to the seventh spot. Adam Engel and Josh Harrison. So, I mean, aside from inserting Eloy Jimenez, that's pretty close to what you're going to be seeing, I'd imagine, for a playoff lineup for the White Sox and something that hopefully will will bear some fruit here against again this is a a Yankees team that you know is going to hit and so the White Sox are going to have to try to go punch for punch with them it really doesn't matter who the White Sox throw it doesn't matter who any team throws against the Yankees we've seen them with the capabilities to go out there and mash against the best of the best I mean just take a look at the the start that Dylan Cease had a week ago they touched him up pretty good. And the White, the Yankees have done that to a number of teams throughout the, the course of the season. And the White Sox, the, the one pitcher who shut him down was Dallas Keuchel. And he's ironically on the mound today uh, going up against Nestor Cortez. And I think that's part of the reason why you see Andrew Vaughn there in the two-hole is because he has been very good against those lefty pitchers. Now, not a lot of hitters have been very good against Nestor Cortez this season. Two and one with a 135 ERA so far. But... I think it's going to be one of those, uh, one of those series where if you're not scoring upwards of six runs a game, it's going to be tough to see yourself in a lot of these games over the course of a three-game stretch. Now, again, you're going to see uh, a couple of different pitchers, and you've got the double header as well tomorrow. the The Yankees are slated to throw righties in both of those games, the double header with Tyone and uh, Luis Severino as well. But I look at what the White Sox need to do i mean really the the starting pitching is the least of my concerns right now if i'm a white Sox fan it's can the hitting get back to what we saw last season and what we saw in, in that game against uh, the royals on thursday is that more of the norm or is that going to be the outlier of this month of may it's going to have to be the norm 
I think, if you, especially against a team like the Yankees and especially against some of the teams that you're going to be playing in the month of May and into early June with the, uh, the Red Sox coming up this week as well. You've got a series with the Dodgers. Houston's not too far down the road, too. You're going to have to put up some runs against some really talented offensive teams. And the record has not been pretty so far this season for the White Sox against some of the best offensive teams in baseball. So they're going to have to iron some of that out if they want to have success. Uh, When we come back, I do want to get through some news and notes from around the White Sox world and the rest of the baseball universe as well. And as always, we'd love to talk to you too. 312-332-3776. Anything White Sox on your mind? Do you feel like this team's starting to get there? Was that Kansas City series a sign of things to come for the White Sox. We'll address all of that and more when we come back. Reconnect with your group at Guaranteed Rate Field this season. No matter the occasion, we have a variety of spaces that are sure to meet your needs. After all, White Sox games are better with a group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. We will be right back on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly leading you in to White Sox and Yankees coming up. First pitch at 1210. We'll have the FanDuel Sportsbook pregame show starting at 1130. Getting you ready for Nestor Cortez against Dallas Keuchel. A battle of a couple of lefties here. Keuchel was great. In fact, he's been really good against the Yankees over the course of his career. You look at... Uh, some of his starts, including last week, where he was really good. But uh, over the course of his career, three runs or less in nine of his starts against the Yankees. Nine of ten. So he's been putting together some quality outings against the Bronx Bombers. Today's Drive Toyota Twitter poll is pitching-oriented, in fact. Which White Sox single pitch is the most dominant? Is it Lucas Giolito's changeup, Dylan Cease's slider, Liam Hendricks's fastball, or Kendall Graveman's sinker. You can vote on our Twitter account at ESPN White Sox. That's at ESPN White Sox. And Lennon DJ will get you those results later on in the broadcast as well. Or if you've got a thought, 312-332-3776. Feel free to dial us up and we can talk pitching with you here on White Sox Weekly. Let's go on out to the phones and we'll find Brendan, who's in Beverly. What's going on, Brendan? Hey, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, Brendan? So pretty good, pretty good. I, yeah, I was at that Keiko, uh, Keiko game. That was that was nice to see him mow them down. Yeah, so was, he was, was fantastic. Good. And credit the defense in that game, too. I, I kind of called for it on White Sox Weekly that day and, and in the pregame show as well. The defense would have to step up with a guy like Keiko on the mound, get a lot of ground right. balls, and the defense was fantastic in that game. It was. It was also kind of, this isn't why I called it, but it was also kind of fascinating to watch um, Rizzo and a couple of the Sox players interact at first base, um, like, you know, with like Tim Anderson and Abreu. It's just kind of cool to see that. But yeah. anyway, um, you know, what I wanted to ask you about is um, your view on, on something, which is I feel like um, it's pretty clear that um, La Russa um, has been pretty inconsistent in um, the lineups that he's putting out there offensively, you know, every game. Um, part of that is probably, of course, because he's um, he's obviously giving guys rest, and so that's obviously going to change players up. But still, even like like you said, the lineup today should be kind of like the everyday lot, you know, the postseason lineup, whatever. But I think this might be the first time we've seen this sequence of hitters, mm-hmm. um, and 
I feel like that could be contributing to um, a lot of the inconsistency we're seeing offensively because it's hard to groove. First of all, if they're not playing all the time, but then second, if they're not in a, you know, in, in a rather consistent spot in the lineup. Like when I was watching the uh, <clears throat> broadcast the other day, Beckham, Gordon Beckham yeah. <clears throat> was talking about Josh Harrison. And I don't think he was trying to criticize the Russo, but I think he maybe indirectly did. And he was like, look, he's like a guy like Josh Harrison. It's hard for him to be in a utility role, right? Um, you know, for him to be consistent. And I, frankly, I don't think they brought Harrison in to be in a utility role. So that's another question for you. But anyways, I wanted to get your, your perspective on that because I feel like his tinkering constantly with players and lineups is actually impeding their ability to get into the groove that they're missing. You know, so I just wanted to see what you think about that. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Brendan. And just thinking through um, what you're going to see, obviously things are going to vary game to game, too, based on starting pitching on the other side, lefty versus righty, all that stuff. Um, but when I look at this White Sox team, like I think today, yeah, I, I like the lineup today. I think it's a, it's as close to what you can see, especially given uh, the health status of everything right now. Um, and now I'm seeing this come across from Daryl Van Scowen. Moncada will be scratched with a leg issue. Abreu has an upper respiratory issue, not COVID, and will DH. So Vaughn is moving over to first base, Laori to second base, and Josh Harrison will play third. And LaRusso also mentioned that Moncada is going to be available off the bench. We'll reset all that stuff for you in a little bit, too. Um, but looking at the lineup, I, as long as moving forward, you see consistency. I don't think we're going to point back to the White Sox early season struggles and say, yeah, that team went 19-19 and because of the way that Tony LaRusso put together the lineups. I don't think that's necessarily the issue because at the end of the day, I mean, think of some of the guys that have been struggling in this lineup. I think notably you look at guys like Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu. Those guys have been hitting in the same part of the order for the bulk of the season. You think of some of the guys that have been moving all over the lineup, whether it's Andrew Vaughn or, or someone like that. Vaughn's been one of your best hitters in the early portions of this season. And he's been able to move his way all around the lineup. So I think it is an interesting sort of contrast here. And even a guy like Luis Robert, too, who's shuffled a little bit between second, third, and, and other spots in the lineup, he's been one of your best hitters this year. And and he's been one of the guys dealing with movement. So it's actually the guys that have been more static, I feel like, that have had some of these issues uh, of of struggling here early on. And it looks like Jose's starting to, to channel something here. Um, hopefully that y you'll see him start to play out more like how he is hitting the ba the baseball. I mean, if you, you lo log into to baseball savant and look at some of his stat cast numbers, his exit velo right now is in the top 2% of MLB at an average of 94 and a half miles per hour at the off the bat, his hard hit percentage, the number, the percentage of balls that, fit the criteria of being classified as hard hit, he's in the top percentile of the entire league at 57.3. All of that's going to start to bear its fruit at some point. Right now, he's hitting almost 70 points below what his expected batting average will be. And I think right now you're starting to see him get a hold and, and lay some of these doubles. He's got two doubles in the last week. Hopefully, he can start to round out and 
become the the Jose Abreu that we have seen time and time again over the course of his White Sox career. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Real quick, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification. Learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp presented by Wintrust. Starting at $159, kids ages 5 through 12 can register for a camp at any of our 50 locations throughout the Chicagoland area. To learn more, visit WhiteSox.com slash play. We talked to Michael Huff earlier in the show, and he told us everything you need to know about the White Sox summer camps. And if you missed anything on today's show, be sure to download the podcast White Sox Weekly wherever you get your podcast. That includes the ESPN Chicago app. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls, 312-332-3776 on what you've seen from the White Sox so far. Who are some guys that you think could round back into form a little bit? And how many games do you think this White Sox team can take from the Yankees this weekend? They've got the one today and then the doubleheader tomorrow. And we'll get you all those lineup changes as well that came shuffling in just a couple minutes ago, too. We'll reset all that for you. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly taking you in to White Sox pregame on the FanDuel pregame show coming up at 1130. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. Connor is en route to New York City as he will be on the call for game one of tomorrow's doubleheader with Johnny Cueto and Jamison Tyone and then Michael Kopech and Luis Severino in the nightcap for Sunday Night Baseball. Today's pitching matchup, Dallas Keuchel, the lefty going against a fellow lefty in Nestor Cortez for the Yankees. We'll get you an updated lineup because I mentioned before the break that there were some changes coming across the bow. So we will get you those in just a second. But first, let's head on out to the phones and say hello to George, who's in River Grove. What's going on, George? What's going on? I'm a Sox fan, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm not happy at all. I, I, I put the uh, White Sox on the list. They are the league leaders in uh, greatest physical skills and doing the least with them. They're a bunch of woeful underachievers. They're a bunch of dumpster divers. They're constantly hacking at slot. They never met a pitch they didn't like. They're popping up. They're striking out. Their runners in scoring position, uh, batting average, especially in late innings, is among the worst. They can't catch the ball. They can't run the bases. Uh, everyone needs a, a raise because obviously they're not getting paid enough to bust their ass out of the box. My Osbani Grandel has a great eye, right? Mm-hmm. That means that he—that means that he's not swinging at bad pitches. So when he swings at a pitch, uh, more likely it's a good pitch to hit, and that's the mark of a good hitter. You don't miss a good pitch when you get it, and he's swinging at more good pitches than most players, and. His batting average doesn't show it. He's a slug. He needs a new home. And then you got uh, death warmed over as the manager, one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, has to have a nap around the seventh inning. And uh, a chance that he's going to make a good tactical move in the late innings is out the door. All right, George, I I, I get your frustrations right now, but, like, listen, at the end of the day, it's still early in the season right now. I'm not making any judgment, really, on any team that's in the middle 
right now when you look at a team like the White Sox at 19 and 19. Listen, you can make your judgments right now about the Cincinnati Reds, right? They're not going to the playoffs. I think that's pretty plain, plain and easy to see right now. And I think you can make your judgments uh, for the team that the White Sox are playing today, the New York Yankees. It's a juggernaut roster right now that's pitching well, that's hitting well, and is healthy right now, too. So I think you can make your judgments on the ends of the spectrum, but when you're looking at teams in the middle right now, it is early. But, yes, there have been some alarming things for the White Sox and for a number of other teams, too, in the early goings of this season. But it's stuff that you would expect to regress to the mean at a certain point. Again, has Yasmani Grandal struggled in the early portions of the season? Yes, but that probably means he's due for a hot stretch at a certain point in the season. Has Jose Abreu struggled in the early portions of the season? Yes, but he's probably due, especially when you look at some of the the numbers and how hard he's hitting the baseball, he's probably due to have some positive regression the other way. So it's early, yes, but I don't think the you can make any bold proclamation about what the White Sox are and aren't right now. It, again, we've seen some really good pitching here in the early stages of the season. And could some of that dip off? Sure, it could at a certain point. But you're also going to be getting Lance Lynn back into the rotation at a certain point as well. So, And I talked about this a little bit with Connor, too, about this team could have supreme pitching depth. And when you look at teams that sort of wear down towards the end of the season, like think about this White Sox team last year and the injuries that they dealt with towards the end of the season, whether it was Rodon missing starts, whether it was Lance Lynn when he got injured as well. If you have that depth in your starting rotation and you don't have to tax these arms as much, not only are they, A, going to be fresher heading into the playoffs, but you give yourself a chance to finish the season strong, which frankly was something the White Sox didn't do last season. And I think that when you look at this Sox team, I don't think that, or I do think that they're going to get to a certain point pitching-wise where when they have the depth, they're going to be a lot healthier and they're going to be, overall, you're going to start to see the bats and, and the pitching sort of sync up a little bit. We talked about this a little bit last week about sort of the what words would you describe the White Sox as through the first 30 or so games of the season? And it was a team that to me was unsynchronized right now because of the fact that we haven't seen them go out and, and put together a start where the pitcher's great and the lineup is hitting. And that's to me, when you can sync those two things up, you've got a lineup that is one of the best in baseball, hitting-wise, and you've got some pitchers that are among the best in baseball as well. So if you can get all those firing at the same time, you're going to have yourself a, a good team, and you're going to have a team that's going to win the AL Central, but you got to sync that up at a certain point too. Let's check in with Owen. He's in Willowbrook right now. What's going on, with Owen? Hi, hi, Tyler. Hey, Tyler, um, the thing that has me concerned about the Sox is – it's not just that the season is young, but it's been this pattern since the all-star break of last year. Mm-hmm. They've been a 500 club last year since last year. And I think the big difference was if you look at the beginning of last year, they weren't hitting home runs, but you had Madrigal getting on base and Anderson getting on base. Right. Madrigal was getting on base all the time for a Brayu and it gave him a chance to drive and run. And then once you get guys on base like that, obviously the opposition pitcher 
is is not as focused, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think the big thing, I, I, you know, I feel fine with our pitching, both the bullpen and the and the starting staff. And where I kind of and and it's I think it's kind of obvious. I have not been a big Moncada fan. I know we had a three sixty base on yeah. I, I think like six last year in the league in WAR, but I think his situational hitting is not that great. And he only hit fifteen home runs out of third base. We need to hit home runs to win because we don't have on base percentage. And I and I don't see Moncada being that 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 answer at third. I wish that what they would do is if they didn't get rid of Moncada, we're not getting production out of second either. Stick him at second base, bring Berger back up. And where I really put a little bit of this blame on, and I don't know how – I haven't looked at how he's doing. I think Hahn let Frazier get away last year. We went after the wrong guy at second base from Cleveland. I, I think if we have Frazier at the top of this lineup with Anderson – it's a different. It's a. You get, it's a different. I, I think you have. I mean, Frazier's probably as close to Madrigal as you had last year, and it's going to get on base more consistently. And yeah. I think he'd fit in great with this lineup. And I put a little bit on that. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Adam Frazier's numbers right now. He's off to a solid start right now, slashing 261, 335, 353. He's not going to give you a whole ton of pop. And, and I appreciate the call, Owen. Um, and I think part of it, too, with the White Sox, everyone's talking about 500 teams since since pretty much the All-Star break last year. And when you look at the schedule, I think it makes sense. Now, again, would you like to see the White Sox start picking off some of these wins against some of these better teams? Yeah, absolutely. That, it's what good teams do. Good teams go out and they beat the other good teams, right? But you look at the schedule and, and sort of what the Sox have seen so far in the early stages of this season so far. I mean, you're going to be wrapping up your season with the Yankees, at least in the regular season, by the end of the weekend, and it's not even June yet. You're going to be wrapping up with with Boston. Um, You've already faced Los Angeles. You've already faced Tampa Bay, um, Seattle. So you've played some, some solid teams, but when you look at the back end of this schedule for the White Sox, it eases up a little bit. You're going to be playing some of the Detroit, some of the Kansas City's, a little more frequently. Um, I mean, think about back to last season. How many times did it feel like the White Sox had played Kansas City and Detroit in the first half of the season? It really felt like it took up the bulk of the early portions of the schedule, and it made sense why they got out to the lead early on that they did in the division. And I think that once you see this team get to the second half, now I'm not saying you can just get beaten around this entire first half and expect things are just going to be all right when you get post-All-Star break. That's not what I'm saying here, but I I do think you're going to see things start to ease up a little bit in the second half. I mean, just look at what you... all. Here are a list of teams that you are going to face between now and let's let's go through the, the first week of June, all right? Or the first week of July, I should say. So you've got the Yankees here to close out this series, and then you've got Boston for three at home, the Cubs for a pair on the south side next weekend, three at Toronto, three at Tampa Bay, three versus the Dodgers, three versus Texas, who went out and spent a ton of money in the offseason, three at Detroit, three at Houston, three at home against Toronto, four at home against Baltimore, and three on the road against the Angels, and then three on the road against the Giants. That's a tough schedule right there that this team's going to have going into the month of July. And if you can tread water through this portion of the season 
and go out and put up some fights against some of these upper echelon teams, some of these really talented teams like the Yankees, like like the Dodgers, Tampa Bay. If you can hold your own in those series, I think we're going to feel pretty good. The record may not be where you would expect it to be heading into the All-Star break, but I think you'll feel pretty good about the White Sox, and I think you'll feel good once you see the results that come in in the second half when the schedule does ease up and you do get a lot of Kansas City and you do get a lot of Detroit. Um, and, and then not only that, but you're going to have a chance to go up against Minnesota a fair amount in the second half of the season as well. And whether you're in chase mode or whether you're in the division lead, you're going to have a chance to separate yourself a little bit. Not a lot of divisional games for this White Sox team in the early going, at least from what it felt like this team had last season going uh, in the first half of the season. so And that's where the White Sox really separated themselves early on and nobody could catch up because you put them so far back in the the standings that no one really had a chance. And you saw pretty much the rest of your division enter sell mode as you got to the trade deadline as well. So that'll be one of the interesting things to watch over the course of the rest of the season. We will get you the lineup. That has been revamped a little bit. Um, we'll get you all those edits in just a little bit. Bring your family of four to a White Sox game starting at $70 with a family four-pack presented by ExxonMobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash four-packs. When we come back, we'll get you the new lineup that Tony Larusa has and get you ready with pregame coming up at 11.30 as well. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Black and Abdallah, weeknights at 6 on ESPN 1000. Final stretch of White Sox Weekly as we lead you into the pregame show that's coming up at 11.30 here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. And then Len and DJ have the call. First pitch at 12.08 out at Yankee Stadium. So White Sox opening up a new three-game set here against the New York Yankees trying to get this thing back on the road. And for a White Sox team that has really struggled against the Yankees over the course of the last two seasons. One and six against the Yankees uh, last year, and then one and three so far to start this season as well. So looking to get on the right track against the New York Yankees as well. I mentioned a couple of changes that you'll be seeing to the White Sox lineup for today. Um, This all coming as a result of... The um, oh, Yohan Moncada getting scratched from the lineup with a leg issue. Jose Abreu also has an upper respiratory issue, not COVID related though. So he was initially slated to DH or to play first base. He will now DH. That's going to shift Andrew Vaughn over to first base. Um, and, and Moncada, of course, coming out of the game. But Tony Larusa did say he is going to be available off the bench as well. So here's what the new starting nine looks like for the White Sox. You've got Tim Anderson leading off in his normal spot. No change there. Andrew Vaughn hitting second. The only change is that he'll be at first instead of DHing. Luis Robert, Jose Abreu. Abreu now the designated hitter instead of playing first base. Yasmani Grandal in the five spot. A.J. Pollock will hit six. Leori Garcia subbing in for... Yohan Moncada, so that's going to shift Josh Harrison, who was initially playing second base, over to third base. Adam Engel's hitting eighth in right field, and then Harrison's going to round out the starting nine for the White Sox today. On the other side for the Yankees, it'll be DJ LeMayhew leading off, followed by 
I mean, you've got a murderer's row here when you look at the, the home run leaderboard with Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, all of which in double figures so far in home runs this season. The only trio of teammates in double figures in home runs this season. Josh Donaldson, he's terrorized White Sox pitching over the past couple of seasons as well. Um, he's hitting fifth in the lineup, followed by Glaber Torres, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop and, and hitting seventh. Then Kyle Higashioka behind the plates and Aaron Hicks out in left field and batting ninth for the Yankees and Aaron Boone. Nestor Cortez gets the ball today. He's 2-1 and one with a 135 ERA and is striking out uh, a lot of hitters so far this season. He's got 49 punch-outs on the year. Dallas Keuchel, he was great the last time out against the Yankees and has been great against the Yankees over the course of his career. 2-3 and three so far this season with a 554 ERA, but it's going to be the same formula for this uh, White Sox team going up against the Yankees with Dallas Keuchel. If you can get those ground balls and the defense steps up like it did a week ago, you're going to put yourself in a good spot against this Yankees team. Um, for a team that really thrives when they can get the ball in the air. I mentioned all those guys on the other side that have hit the ball out of the ballpark at an immaculate rate with Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, and then it seems like whenever he plays the White Sox, it's Donaldson into that mix as well. Um, but if the White, if Dallas Keuchel can keep that ball on the ground, Tough to, to hit it out at Yankee Stadium when you put that ball on the ground. Um, so that's something that you'll look for out of the White Sox. And then the defense is going to have to be great again. And we saw the defense be great a week ago against this Yankees team. We'll see if Dallas can get it done again today. He's allowed three runs or fewer in nine of his ten career starts against the Yankees. Um, so look for Dallas Keuchel to try to quiet this Yankees lineup that has hit the ball hard and has hit the ball hard a lot this season. A lot of multi or a lot of uh, 10 plus run games, including a pair against the White Sox a week ago in that four game series as well. One thing I wanted to bring to the attention of people, um, this coming from Jeff Passan on ESPN.com came out this morning today about new White Sox starter Johnny Cueto. Now, this was a really interesting story that came across the wire here. So a few years ago, Johnny Cueto bought an ambulance. However, it's not what you would think it is necessarily for because in the back, you can open it up and there you will find 22 speakers. This may be the most tricked out ride in all of MLB. Uh, there's some great pictures in here as well, but you just open up the back doors. There's a couple that flap out open and then there's one that raises up and you just see... Speakers glory. I mean, you would think you're at Lollapalooza when you look at this ambulance here. I wonder if Johnny's putting on little concerts in, in the, the White Sox parking lot or something of that nature. But this is one of the most souped up rides I've ever seen. Um, you probably could see it on MTV at some point, too. Uh, but Johnny Cueto, the, the guy who came in uh, a week ago and put together a magnificent quality start, shut out the Royals in his first start with the, the White Sox, he also may have just taken the, the reins of Team DJ as well. So we'll have to find out and get some more background on, on Johnny Cueto and his tricked-out ambulance of all vehicles um, that is now being used as a mini-concert venue as well, it seems like. So some really cool stuff there from, from Johnny Cueto and, and bringing... As if this White Sox team didn't have enough characters and enough swag and enough cool dudes on it, here you go. You add Johnny Cueto in the month of May, and he just adds and furthers 
uh, what the White Sox have in the swag department. And I know you're not going to find that on Baseball Reference, Baseball Savant, wherever you go for your advanced analytics, but Johnny Cueto with his souped-up ambulance that features 22 speakers. I mean, this thing is immaculate. You can find it on Instagram um, at Musico Logo Baca Nord. That's music Musico Logo B A K A N O R D. Uh, very cool stuff here from from Johnny Cueto and Jeff Passan has a whole article about it on ESPN.com as well. So the White Sox trying to level things out here against the Yankees. Seven games for these two teams this season. They, they already have four in the bank. White Sox looking for a little bit of revenge. Listen, if you can take two out of three from the Yankees here, again, I'm not expecting to see the Yankees get swept by the White Sox. I'm not expecting to see the Yankees get swept really by any team over the course of this. E- even if they were playing the Dodgers, let's say, the power of the NL right now, I would not expect to see a Yankees team go out and get swept. The White Sox are going to need some really quality starting pitching in this game and in this series as well. Uh, it starts today with Dallas Keuchel. And then tomorrow, you'll have the doubleheader, Johnny Cueto, going up against Jamison Tyone. That game starting at 2.05 Central. That's game one of the doubleheader. That was rescheduled from Friday when everything got washed out. And then tomorrow night, the White Sox are back on Sunday Night Baseball. Michael Kopech and Luis Severino should be a great pitching matchup there. But the White Sox are going to need some pitching in this series. And they're going to need to hit the ball, too, because this is a lineup that can be tough to to silence on the other side with the Yankees. And there's also this White Sox team. They're going to have to try to channel the offense that they found in that Thursday game against the Royals, in that six-run comeback where it was a sleepy game, it was a long game. But when those bats woke up, you saw some good things. Real quick, let's head on out to Skokie and talk to Gideon. Gideon, we got 90 seconds here, so you got to be quick. Tyler, last year I went to New York and I saw the Sox play the Yankees and it wasn't at all good. I think we got swept. I'm mm-hmm. hoping for a better performance than that. I'm also hoping that we don't have a triple play turned against us, which, right. which happened last mm-hmm. year. Carlos Rodon pitched really well, so I'm looking for some really good pitching performances in this series. Yeah, and I appreciate the call, Gideon. And again, this is one of those early month games and series that you have here and a chance for some of these emerging pitchers to step up when you look at a guy like Kopech maybe you can see him get to seven innings on Sunday night or six innings on Sunday night or six and change on a Sunday night what are we going to see out of Johnny Cueto I think that's the burning question now in the mind of every single White Sox fan because kind of like can can Johnny Cueto be this year's your mean Mercedes for the White Sox can he be that guy that sort of steps in and gives you something of that nature that will help you kind of get into a, a groove here early on. The White Sox are still looking for that groove, and they're going to try to find it with a three-game set in New York. This has been White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks to Mike Huff. Thank you to Connor McKnight, who joined us as well. Thank you to our producers, our executive producer, Erica Strowski and Charlie Bevins as well. The FanDuel White Sox pregame show is coming up next. You're listening to the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.